Hi, my name is Agile, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon, and I believe you should too. Just go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel, website, and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listener, to this, the backtrack edition of our podcast. It's the edition between our regular shows where we pick a single topic from our youth growing up and dig in deep on that. I am John. Joining me, as always, is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? And of course, Mo is here. Hey, everybody. We are looking in this backtrack at a phenomenon that kicked off in the uh, kind of early 80s that has continued to this day in different ways, but boy, was it huge back then. We're looking to talk about celebrity charity events. And we're not talking about like a we're going to get together and have a nice dinner. We're not talking about we're going right. <laughs> to the celebrities are going to uh, host a ball. <laughs> These were like big, grandiose, like productions, I mean, convention yeah. kind of things or concerts, just major events where celebrities would band together for some cause. Yeah, which was kind of like probably the early times that celebrities really kind of got political, I guess, or got involved in these things like in a serious way. Like you always had the one-off artists that would do something for, oh, I'm sure this charity, right, right, that yeah. charity. But yep. here was like a group getting together say, okay, we're all supporting this one thing. Yeah, it was, it was kind of purely altruistic in a way. Although it was a political motive or it was a some kind of a, a charity motive, they always gave us the feeling that, wow, these celebrities are real people that care about the real world. They're not just living in their mansions, cutting gold records, you know? Yeah. I would say it was kind of the next iteration of the Woodstock phenomenon. I mean, if you think about it, Woodstock was a group of performing artists coming together, doing that giant concert in upstate New York, Moe's neck of the woods, so right. to speak. Yep. And well, compared <laughs> yep. to our neck of the woods, which was down here in the Hicks right, South. Right, right, right. Our neck of the woods was just woods. Right, exactly. Well, don't forget that there's, there's New York City and then there's upstate right. is the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> so somewhere in that upstate If you part. live in the deep South, it's all New York City. Exactly. <laughs> the whole thing, the whole state is New York City. That's New York City. <laughs> but it was that same kind of feeling. I mean, those guys came together. I, If I remember right, wasn't Woodstock free? It was a free concert yeah. for everybody, and they just oh, yeah. filled yeah. that whole field yeah. there and everything. It's not about it being free, but it's about using that performance or that song or that movement to try and help mm-hmm. the and unfortunate power. people in a society. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you said, I think, that putting that star power to work to bring yeah. awareness. So we're going to try to walk through the history of some of these celebrity charity events on this episode of The Backtrack. Let's kick it off. Farm Aid, the concert for America. They gave their music. They did their part. Right now, it's up to you. Call 1-800-FARM-AID or send your contribution to Farm Aid, P.O. Box Farm Aid, Champaign, Illinois, 61820. I think there are a lot of these kind of celebrity charity event uh, or media conglomerate cool things to talk about. 
Uh, and we have a lot of them on our list. What do you, what do you think is a good place to start, George? What, what do you have in mind? Honestly, I, the first one that I remember seeing anything in the news or hearing anything about it was probably Band-Aid. Now, not the Band-Aid brand that you stick on cuts, <laughs> but Band-Aid. Band-Aids because Band-Aid right. stuck on stuck me. On me. Oh, that's a different show. Wait, that's, it's a, that's a different yeah, backtrack. Different, different thing, yeah. right? Different backtrack. Yeah. No, so this was a group that got together out of England, and it was actually formed by Bob Geldof. Now, that's a name that Generation X people probably remember hearing about. He was very involved in a lot of those charity movements of the time. He started out as a lead singer of an Irish band called the Boomtown Rats. I only knew their name because I've seen Bob Geldof come up in documentaries and they mention, oh, he was the lead singer of Boomtown Rats. That's the only thing I know about that group. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard Bob Geldof's name. I never heard his his, uh, his Boomtown Rats. Though. Exactly. So in 1984, Bob Geldof co-wrote a song with the intent to help the starving children in Africa, specifically Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And the song that he co-wrote was, Do They Know It's Christmas? Do you guys remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That song? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Like everybody was in that song. It was what informed and inspired other versions of that type of thing later on. Like we all know in mm -hmm. America, we all know we are the world. And we'll talk a little bit about that yeah. one later. This Hell was yeah. kind of Huge. the predecessor to We Are the World. This is 1984. It was actually released on December 3rd. So several days before Christmas, but right in time with that giving charitable time that people feel good about helping other people in the world, because unfortunately it doesn't happen all year round. We don't, not everyone has that feeling throughout the year. So he really mm -hmm. capitalized on the timing of this. This song went super hot right off the bat. Number one for like five to seven weeks in England on the British pop charts. It was super yeah. huge. But the funny thing is that you look at that, looking at who's on that song, it had like Bono was on it. Sting was on it. Duran Duran was on it. Boy George, Phil Collins. I mean, Banana Ram song not be a hit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and, and not just that, but other people too, like some members from Cool and the Gang were on the song. Oh, really? It's, wow. Yeah. Paul Young. Oh, I know Paul Young was on that George one. George Michael from Wham! at the time yeah it was oh, it was yeah. a who's who before we are the <laughs> world funny. it's who's who back then george michael was george michael from wham right and wham. he was just george damn michael <laughs> well before that was just wham yeah one of the key figures who we're going to talk about a little bit later on who did something very special in like the second iteration of band-aid phil collins was also a big part of do they know it's christmas phil collins is one of my favorite singers of all time, led my favorite group, Genesis, for a lot of yeah. years. It's just a near and dear topic to me. Our drummer turned singer, uh, yeah. Phil Collins. I mean, he, <laughs> and he didn't want to be a singer. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, you know, ironically. Originally, Peter Gabriel, the original leader of Genesis, he bowed out and they were like, well, we need a singer. They auditioned a few people, didn't like anybody. And they said, well, Phil, give it a try. Next thing you know, he's <laughs> Phil fucking Collins. So. Yeah. And it's funny that his voice is not like a leading man's voice that you would expect. Right. But it's so such a signature voice that, oh, it just for me, it became Genesis. And then you hear it in anything and it just bam, you know, it's him. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. him in this song. Do they know it's Christmas? You can pick out his yep. parts pretty strong. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. So this song went on to do a lot of things. It actually won the 1986 Grammy for Best Music Video. 
or well, I don't know if it won. It was at least nominated for the best music video okay. short form yeah. in 1986, which was wow. actually after the song was released. And there's a reason why. And that's because other things happened between 84 and 86 that kind of drove that performance. There was a concert that we're going to talk about a little bit later <laughs> yep. called yep. Live Aid. And that really yep. drove Do They Know It's Christmas through the roof. That kicked it up a notch. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the song? What were your... like? Do you remember when the first time you heard it was? I mean, for me, it was one of those seminal moments, just like when the shuttle blew up Challenger. You know, I remember Ooh, really? where I was when I first heard oh, sure. Do They Know It's Christmas. Wow. I think I was probably watching uh, MTV, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. Just during the holidays, they were playing all those Christmassy kind of videos. Sure. And then that one came on. I hadn't heard it before. And I, they said I was hooked on that song as soon as I heard it. It's a great song, right? Yeah, it is. It really grabs a hold of you emotionally. It was the first time that I encountered, maybe it was the first time that this really happened, that I was aware of, that a bunch of popular artists that I knew, you know, you're listening to a song, you're like, oh, that's that guy. And the next verse, you're like, wait a minute, that's that guy. Yeah. Wait a minute, that's that girl. Like, they're all in this song. Like, yeah, so it's almost like this, like, ultimate, like, it's like the Avengers movie, right? Yeah, it's all a huge mashup. Movies right. are one movie. Right. Band-Aid right. Assemble! Right. It's, <laughs> like, what the hell is Boy George doing singing next to Sting? That's not a combination but I would have put crazy. together before yeah, that song. And it works. Oh, yeah, for you sure. You got that feeling, you know, they all had their own, like, personality, and, like, this guy was quirky, and this guy was silly, and this guy was serious, but yeah, they were all together. It was like, wow, they're all people. It was, it was, it was a weird kind of moment. It was the first time I realized, wow, these people can get together and do something. They're not living on these little islands on, on these album covers. Yeah. And it wasn't just the song, which was the song and the people in the song. The song was very catchy. It was very pop, which pop music sometimes gets a bad rap, especially 80s pop music. I don't care. I loved pop music in the 80s. I was the guy that was out there consuming the albums, buying the cassettes. I loved all pop music. So people who would say, oh, pop music is bubblegum this or punk is the real yeah, you rock know, or something. Screw you that. Know, if pop music, music makes you was feel popular good, and I love it. Pop is short for popular. Yeah. If music makes yeah. you feel good, who cares? Yeah, yeah exactly. No such thing as a guilty pleasure. It's just what you enjoy. And in this right. one, not only did it make you feel good, but it had a purpose to help other people. And that was probably my first time. I actually donated money. I bought the album and then donated money later on during the Live Aid performance because well, I was it so taken by yeah. the fact that these people came together and said, hey, our fans out there, if you guys believe in helping other people around the world in an area that you've never been to or seen or anything other than, you know, later on, Sally Struthers coming to you while she's eating her big ham sandwich and <laughs> showing you these poor deprived children with flies Dogs all over starving. them. This yeah. was before any of that stuff. None of that would have ever grabbed me emotionally. This grabbed me emotionally. Could you use a helping hand on your next electronics project? Quad Hands is the ultimate third hand helping hands vice and hobby station. The first thing you'll notice is how heavy a quad hands is. It's made from solid steel and then coated with a baked on powder coat for a durable finish. And the rubber feet are gonna keep it from sliding on your bench and give you a nice sturdy work surface. Those flexible all metal gooseneck arms feature rotating alligator clips to hold your boards and wires firmly in place. And removable silicone covers come pre-installed on those clips to protect those delicate wires and boards. And those arms can be 
put anywhere you need them. No fumbling around with awkward joints that are difficult to position. The Quad Hands was designed to help you do your best work. It's built to last right here in the USA and backed by a lifetime guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Order yours today from Amazon or quadhands.com. Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners can save 20%. Just use offer code GENXUP20, that's G-E-N-X-U-P-2-0. For your next project, let a quad hands hold what your hands create. Now, George, just a second ago, you alluded to a another event that really uh, stepped everything up a notch, uh, and that was Live Aid, yeah? Oh, yeah. No, not just another event, probably the concert the event, event from yeah. the 1980s. I went to several concerts in the 80s, but I don't care what anybody says, this was the biggest concert event ever. And I don't mean just in attendance, and I don't mean just in star power. I mean, the event and the scope of Live Aid, the magnitude that this thing held was Mm. unprecedented for the time. You mentioned the star power. Right. It built upon itself. And so the fan base for all of those people, everybody's fans from all those amazing performers that they got to appear at Live Aid. Yeah. So basically, for the price of one ticket, you could see just everybody. Sick. <laughs> yeah. It was organized by Bob Geldof, just like the original song, Do They Know It's Christmas. He created the company that then went on to produce Live Aid based on that song and that idea of helping people in Africa. This Live Aid concert was born from that same idea and philosophy. Yeah. And I'm not sure we've really emphasized this enough. This is a concert with like A-list musicians and celebrities. Correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't take a fee for this, right? No, everything I've read shows that everybody did it on a volunteer basis. I guess we should set this up and explain. Live Aid was not just a single concert. First of all, it was a dual venue concert. They actually performed this in two different places on two completely different continents on the same day. They performed this at Wembley Stadium in London, England. Mm-hmm. And then they also performed a second concert same day at John F. Kennedy Stadium in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States, all on July 13th. If you can imagine a typical concert nowadays when it's a really big one, what do you get like? 50, 60,000 people attending. That's a monster concert, right? That's a huge one. Right. The Wembley Stadium concert had 72,000 people in attendance. Just Wembley. That's more than they get for soccer matches over there. (laughs) Right, exactly. You've seen Wembley (laughs) Stadium in soccer matches. You've seen it, you know, the Wembley Open Tennis Tournament and everything. You mean a football? Yeah, football. (laughs) The Philadelphia concert? 100,000 people in attendance. Holy man. And this is 1985 stadium. This is not like a 2018 (laughs) stadium that's been built for the Dallas Cowboys or whatever craziness that normally holds that kind of capacity on its own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 100,000 people bought tickets to go to this concert and watch it in one place. Across both of the places, nearly 200,000 people in attendance. And that's just who was at the stadium. Mm -hmm. Right, because it was was broadcast. It was live cast, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was broadcast all over. I think MTV showed it all day or something. It was on several different platforms. MTV had an airing. There was... I remember reading a statistic that it was well over 100 different countries broadcast this concert, like 150 countries broadcast. Total population of the earth at that time, this was 
40% of the whole population of Earth watched this concert. 1.9 billion what? people watched this concert. 40% of the population. Yeah, I don't know any other event that's had that market share ever. Man. And to think, you know, it's done on two concerts. Think about the production. John, you were in television. You yeah. know production better than the rest of us. This mind-bogglingly complicated logistics whizzing around in my head. And that was pre-internet. Yeah, pre-internet. So you had to do yeah. all that over the phone. or the, And you yeah, had some right. weird things, too, that wanted yeah. to be done. Like, did you know that there was a planned David Bowie, Mick Jagger mashup singing collaboration that they were going to do live at both places at the same time? Nope. Uh, there's no way that that could not have happened. And it, did didn't, it? it didn't because no, you're it didn't. right. They no. couldn't figure it out. Well, because there was no internet and live streaming. So they had to bounce it off a satellite, which means yeah. like a 12 a or 15 delay. second delay. Uh, there's no way that happened. But that would have been awesome if they yeah, tried. Yeah, they tried. <laughs> but, okay, but I have to say that the video, like this is like probably the, the only shadow over live. It was a couple shadows. This is a big shadow over live aid was the uh, Dancing in the Street video that they did do for it. Yeah. That David Bowie and Mick Jagger did. Yeah. <laughs> that one's been pretty bad. But it was done for Live Aid. Pretty widely made fun of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That came because they couldn't do this live collaboration that they wanted to do. Oh, okay. They tried yeah. all different kinds of things. Like they tried to record Bowie's performance ahead of time, but then they wanted him to lip sync to the backing tracks and he didn't want to do that. No. And Jagger no, couldn't no, no. keep in time and pace with the broadcast. And so they were just like, nope, scrap it. Let's just make a video would play that during part of this thing. And that was... But you know, if they could have pulled it off, that would have been awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And maybe Hell today, yeah. <laughs> maybe they could do it, but even today... Oh, sure, today you could. You yeah. could would it be easier today? Because I don't know. To me, oh, there's still easier. a delay. Listen, I mean, if you can put a hologram of Tupac on the stage, you can do a sync across two enough. Hey, that I was mean, no problem. He's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just equating the technology. You could definitely oh, get it done. Okay, okay. Yes, yes. In your opinion, what was probably the biggest performance to come out of the Live Aid concerts. For me, was uh, Led Zeppelin playing again? Oh, nice. Gotcha. Because that was the first time they played together since uh, the drummer died. Was it 80? Sure. And the coolest part was, you know who they sub, who did the drums for them? Yep. Was Phil Collins. Yes, he did. And I'll talk oh. a little bit about what he did during yeah. the Live Aid concert. Because what Phil Collins did during these concerts is mind boggling and amazing. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But part of what he did was be the drummer for Led Zeppelin. Oh, that's that's awesome. And then the other one, which I think we all agree was when Queen performed. Yeah, Queen, yeah, that's I what I was going to be say. bringing that yeah. one up. Yeah, Queen. yeah Bohemian Rhapsody, about that one. <laughs> probably the best performance Queen ever did live. I mean, they've done some great performances. We'll all agree no, that geez, Queen- That's saying something. <laughs> they're a masterpiece of rock, <laughs> right. aren't they? I mean, they, yeah. they define mm-hmm. the whole rock opera performance genre yeah. You'll of get the no day. debate here. Yeah. But performing Bohemian Rhapsody of all songs live- yeah, Give me no, a break. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. With that crowd, too. Uh-huh. That's, yeah. Yeah. And Mo, you mm. mentioned Phil Collins playing drummer for Led Zeppelin. He also, of course, performed mm-hmm. some of his own songs there at Wembley Stadium, but he actually performed at both venues on the same day. What? <laughs> did he take the Concord or something? He did. He absolutely <laughs> Get did. Get out of town. <laughs> nope. Really? He performed at both concerts. He performed at the Wembley Stadium early, jumped on a helicopter, took him to the airport, got on the Concord. Phil Collins was a beast. Oh, he was. And did this, and like you mentioned earlier, John, free of charge. No money. Right. Right? Yeah. So he performs two or three songs, then he performs with Led Zeppelin, flies over to the U.S., while he's on the Concord, guess who he meets? Don't know. 
share. <laughs> she didn't understand. She wasn't a part of the Live Aid performance concert. Oh, so she wasn't on her way to Live Aid. She, she was, was just not, on the Concord. She was just on the Concord flying from London over to New York. They start talking. He tells her what's going on and why he's so sweaty and everything else. He talks <laughs> her with in. Me over to the Live Aid. He does. He talks her into coming to Live Aid in Philadelphia. She's one of the performers, and it's one of the only times that she performed on the Do They Know It's Christmas song in Philadelphia. Wasn't even scheduled mm. to be there. By happenstance. Yep. I still, the thing I thought was really great about the Live Aid was that, do you remember like who they had like introduce each of the music acts? It was like some really famous actor. Oh. I remember Bette Midler was on there and- Jack Nicholson introduced some people. Really? Richard Skinner yeah. was the guy who opened the concert. Chevy Chase was there. <laughs> they had a lot of different uh, people. This one will really take you back. Joe Piscopo. Yeah. Remember him? <laughs> Back when he was like somebody that people knew about. Was that the before or after steroids, Joe Piscopo? <laughs> it Pre- had to be before. There's no way he could have done it. It had after. to be before. <laughs> I mean, they had some great stuff. Of course, you had the Beatles, Paul McCartney, of course. Some true moments in music history performed in this one day in 1985. And the thing is, it was all for a, a really good cause. It know? was. And do you know how much money they raised? And this is in 1985 money. So now the Live uh, Aid, what was the specific charity they were raising money for for this one? It Remind was the me. same charity. It was to African Famine Relief. It, yeah. it was still Famine Relief. Yeah, okay. Yes, exactly. I don't know. Drop it on me. They raised 150 million pounds in 1985. In money. 1985. So I can't imagine what that would be now a lot yeah yeah more than 150 million pounds (laughs) which was still a lot even then that's right to help the people Mm -hmm. in africa just truly remarkable and that's why it has earned its own backtrack these events it's just it's that kind of yeah it's kind of a big deal wow hi i'm cindy Lawson, and this may look like a live aid book with lots of pretty pictures of Madonna, Mick, Midler, McCartney, uh, Louis Fontenot, and Patti LaBelle, but it's really not. It's really Live Aid. And when you buy one of these books, all the proceeds go to relieve the famine in Africa. Sorry to interrupt, Gen Xers, but this show will be done before you know it. And then what are you going to do? You're going to need something to fill your ear holes with. And we're here to be that uh, ear hole filling thing. We're Blockbuster Nostalgia. We're a movie podcast that's counting down the biggest hit films of the 1980s based on how much money they made. Because that'll show those dirty 80s commies. Each week we have a few drinks. Or a lot. And talk about a different classic film. Which inevitably leads us to rant about things like... Where Luke Skywalker kept his sex robots. What if Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon was in fact a Velociraptor? Who would win in a fight between Rocky Balboa or a Gundam? How the Winter Olympics should definitely feature rabbit wolves on skis. We even cast Vin Diesel one time as a talking car in a smoking a Bennett style rom-com. And we pitch Paul Blart Part 3, the one where he's a Thundercat. We've been at it for two years now, so we have plenty of vulgar, definitely not for kids, fun for you to enjoy. From Die Hard and Dirty Dancing to Ferris Bueller and Star Wars, we've got your favorite 80s movies covered. Check us out on Facebook, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live Aid really pushed a whole string of these other kind of concerts that came out. I think one of them was uh, Farm Aid. Sure. Right? That was a big one back then, wasn't it? Yeah, Farm Aid. Willie Nelson, baby. Oh, right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I forget. <laughs> yeah. So again, this was mid-80s. There was a lot of industrialization that was negatively impacting like small farmers and family farms. And yeah, they're like going that. out of business left and right. Yeah. Sure. And so a lot of these like staunchly American uh, kind of acts like your Willie Nelson and John Mellencamp and those kind of guys were like, we're supporting American farmers. And so they did very much like a live aid flavor of thing, not of the same scope, 
but to raise money for farm workers relief, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. The whole group Farm Aid is still an active charity that's still going today. It was founded originally by Willie Nelson, John Cougar Mellencamp. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, by different names, but yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Pick a flavor. And believe it or not, Neil Young. Really? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I Neil can see Young. that. And the interesting thing was they did this concert just a few months after the Live Aid concert. So Live Aid was July 1985. This was September 22nd, 1985. And they did pretty well. They performed to 80,000 people. Wow, no slouch. So yeah. really big at University of Illinois Memorial Stadium. And they had a lot of cool people there. Some of them, again, more of my pop music favorites. They had Bob Dylan. Mm. Oh, yeah. Billy Joel. Yeah. Oh, wow. One of my favorites of all time. B.B. King. Oh, uh, Roy Orbison. And even Tom Petty. Oh, wow. Damn. You know, at some point, I'm going to stop being amazed by all the people who are at these <laughs> events. Because they're all, the events are just amazing. I mean, every time you tell me, I'm like, holy crap, I'm starting to get numbed by the fact that it's just, they were all just so these monumental in the scope. Yeah, yeah. Like Mo said earlier, you know, these these celebrities, these artists becoming more politically aware and deciding to use their fame a little bit more for what they wanted to do to help a specific segment of the population of the earth. Oh, sure. I would say The so. fact that all yeah. these things happened in such close proximity to each other. One of the great things that happened during Generation X's childhood I don't think Generation X gets enough credit for the charity movements of its day. You talk about Generation X being the technology starting generation or being the greed generation because of the Gordon Gecko type stuff and everything. But <laughs> right. no, there was a lot of charity giving going on during this time on a big, huge global scale, way more so than it's even done in a lot of times today. Yeah. And none of them had to do it. They didn't need it. Yeah. It's not like they made their career or anything. Their careers it were established. Like, it was like a, a fading star that was like, hey, this will help right, my no, career. Nothing like that. Right. No, right. no, yeah, no. Like, yeah. Their career is already rocketing. You know, they're right. just going right. fine This was not a, hey, John Travolta, do you want to be in Pulp Fiction? Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> George, how much did this run up raising? The concert raised $9 million in $1985. Okay. Pretty good mm-hmm. for one single oh, concert. Yeah. Again, this one wasn't driven by a particular song like this was a group of performers getting up and performing their own songs in a concert venue and people buying tickets to come and watch it. Right. right. There was an album that was released and there has been every year subsequent, but it wasn't a a driving force that those types of things were. Well, beyond right. money, I mean, it, it also enacted some uh, some actual change for uh, farm workers, didn't it? Sure, yeah. In 1987, John Cougar Mellencamp and Willie Nelson actually went in front of Congress. Oh and- my God, Willie Nelson. I know, right? Long before the modern marijuana movement, Willie yeah, Nelson yeah. went in front of Congress. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Nelson, Mr. Nelson, can you please put that out? He actually went there and they got an act passed by Congress called the Agricultural Credit Act of 1987 that was specifically designed to help family farmers in America stay afloat. To benefit those same people. Farm Aid is a little bit different than Live Aid or We Are the World, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, or some of the other projects. Projects that have gone on. Farm Aid actually has done a concert every single year from 1985, including all the way through 
2018. They've continued oh, to do it. Yeah. They, have. That, they stuck to it. Yeah. When I saw that, I was very surprised. Yeah. Different places. They've been like the first one in Illinois. They've done Texas, Nebraska, Indiana. They've had a lot of different performers and celebrities. You've got from Alabama to the Beach Boys, Deborah Winger, the actress, mm-hmm. Lou Reed, Kenny Rogers, Sissy Spacek, all these people who really want to become a part of the movement to help the small American farmers have all gone out and put their time in to help this charity and these concerts. Now, George, you mentioned We Are the World, and I, I think it's a good spot to, to, to bring that up because we're kind of at that point. So this was in 85, just mm-hmm. like the original Farm Aid was. Yep. Again, inspired by the Do They Know It's Christmas, they created a group called United Support of Artists. Yep. No coincidence, it's USA. <laughs> right. Yeah. We Are the World was this track. It was written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. Yes. Man, the so it was released in like March of 85. Yep. I remember seeing the video of that is nothing. Okay, let me phrase this. I was going to say it's nothing amazing. It is amazing. It's not like a big right. production number. <laughs> it's just all these artists in this one studio mm-hmm. singing together. You know, it's like you see these three powerhouse artists all leaning in to sing on the same microphone and your brain explodes because you're like, they're all there together and nobody's taking the spotlight well, on this yeah. one track. We are the world. Let me tell you, I mean, the thing that was amazed me is Quincy Jones was, was co-producer. Mm-hmm. Yes. And his ability to mix completely different voices and styles. And blend all and those. blend right, into a yeah. single thing. I thought was just And genius. you have to think about it too. Quincy Jones worked with most of the artists that performed on We Are The World. Yeah, that didn't hurt. You know, so <laughs> he knew their styles. He had worked with them for years. He had worked with Michael Jackson. He had worked with Lionel Richie. He had worked with probably almost everybody that sang on the album. There are some people that say his influence was what brought most of the artists onto the song in the first place. Yes, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie wrote it, but Quincy Jones was probably the driving force behind We Are the World. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like in cinema. Like, you have a director, but the producer is the engine that makes it all actually happen. Sure. That's where Quincy Jones played. Oh, you know, yeah, I don't think there's any debate there. When that thing was released, it was the fastest-selling American pop single in history. Yeah, and you mentioned March. It was, I remember specifically, because it was four days after my birthday. It was March 7th. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember when it came out, and I like had to go buy it like that day there were actually lines at turtles they hyped the heck out of that thing though I of mean, course they did a yeah. great job of marketing let me tell you they you know everybody was looking forward to it before well it quincy jones once again mr motown you know yeah you know how they had all like the they had that whole making of the song mm-hmm. did anyone watch that when it came out like it, how it, they that made was that was as amazing as watching the video it yeah. was but the thing i got the part that still cracks me up is when they had ray charles yeah he's up there he's in the in the sound room and he has he's reading their words like he had braille so he's reading the words and Quincy Jones is trying to tell him like instructions and Ray Charles is like, look, look, let's just start and get this done. <laughs> and, right. and he does it one take and he's done. Yeah. <laughs> he does single take. He's like, okay, there we go. And that was it. I was like, wow, that's a professional. <laughs> They've done quite a bit with the song. I actually went and counted. It charted number one or number two in over 20 different charts around the world. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me a bit. The only thing that surprises me is it wasn't 40. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was, the, it was the first record to go multi-platinum, wasn't it? Or something like that. Sold over 20 million units. Yeah. Jeez. 20 million. Yeah. yeah. And then recognized it was it was like a three Grammys. It got an American mm-hmm. Music Award. It got a People's Choice Award. And then they had merchandise that went beyond just the album. Yeah. I mean, T-shirts and 
mugs and hats and clothes and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, the merchandise did over $64 million. Jeez. <laughs> Crazy. So oh, nuts. Man. I have a t-shirt somewhere. <laughs> Guess who actually sang on the chorus to We Are the World? Everybody. I know the Oats, Oats did. <laughs> Bob Live Aid Geldof. Did oh, really? he? Yep. Sure did. Good on him. <laughs> yeah. And that's how these things all kind of tied together, right? Like they were recognizing that they probably wouldn't have come together and put this thing together had it not been for his original idea in 1984. Yeah. And they put this thing together based off that, like you're helping the people in Africa. We want to help the people in Africa. We want to put an American flair on it, but we still want you to be involved. So they put him on. I don't the know album. how many times I watched that video over and over. Uh, Paul Simon. Kenny Rogers, Tina mm-hmm. Turner, Cindy Lautner, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, Willie Nelson was there. Uh, Bruce Bob Springsteen, Dylan. Kenny Loggins. It's crazy. Just insane to see all of these, again, A-listers. And there they are. Yeah. yeah. Just singing along like they're in a choir. We could, we, <laughs> if we tried to list all the people, I mean, even the chorus, you have your singers that you're used to. But there were people in the chorus like Dan Aykroyd. What the yeah. hell was Dan Aykroyd yeah, I remember the video. on this thing? I remember right? seeing the him video. like, what? Yeah. Harry Belafonte, you kind of understand, because he okay, was also yeah. part of the original organization sure. movement. He was kind of one of the people who had the idea. So you get him. He's been a singer for years as well. But Dan Aykroyd, really? More star power. <laughs> I mean, an American Idol alumnus, Randy Jackson. <laughs> really? What? Yeah. Yeah. The dog himself. Randy Jackson. Really? Oh, my Waylon goodness. Jennings. Yeah. Bette Midler. Sure. You know, just crazy. Oh, I'm, I'm going to wear out my wow meter on this, on this backtrack. <laughs> it's just, it, 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 it is that kind of amazing. You look back on it and then when you're in it, it was awesome. But to look back on it, it's almost you underappreciated it. And you look back on it. Now, like, John, wow. you, you <laughs> discovered something that I wasn't aware of about We Are the World. Unlike Do They Know It's Christmas, which has just had some re-releases and everything, We Are the World actually did a whole new thing in 2010 that you were talking about. You're exactly right. So, I mean, We Are the World was again for famine relief in Africa. However, in Haiti in January of 2010, there was a magnitude seven earthquake that just ravaged Haiti and that country. And so a new group was formed called Artists for Haiti, and they re-recorded We Are the World uh, in 2010 to benefit victims of the Haiti earthquake a few years back and they did it again. And it was a whole new group of, I'm going to say A-listers, but it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it's debatable depending on, I mean, you got your, uh, your Bieber was in there, right? You no, got your really? millennials. It was, a, it was A-listers uh, for, for millennials. Okay. They were the current A-listers, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Quincy Jones still was involved, but you had Justin Bieber and Jennifer Hudson, Tony Bennett, Mary J. Blige, Tony Braxton, Celine Dion, Usher. Okay. All right. Now you're yeah. getting into some better quality stuff there. Yeah. All right. Pink, Lil Wayne, Akon, T. Pain, LL Cool J, Snoop Dogg. I mean, listen, <laughs> it was a cross section of who's who in 2010 pop music, just like it was back in 85. Sure. Yeah. And again, they raised money for charitable cause using that same track, but later on. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, and that track yeah. is, there have been a number of live performances later on, not just mm-hmm. from the whole groups, but individuals that were involved in the original production have done things like there was a celebration for the inauguration of Bill Clinton. They did a live performance sure, of that yeah, song yeah. there. And I'm sure he played the sax. Sure. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Why not? Yeah. I mean, they even did some stuff with it when Michael Jackson died in 2009 at his memorial mm-hmm. service, of course, sure. because it was a huge part of his legacy. The song has been performed in a number of different ways, but I think the Haiti instance was the first time it was used for a different charity. And just as effective. Yeah. We are the world. We are the children. 
Drawn and Paneled is a brand new comic book focused podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Hey, I'm George. And I'm Jason. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love. And we cover everything from the golden age to the modern age. If you're a comic book fan who enjoys going beyond the page to learn about the history and creators who bring the characters to life, we're for you. You can find Drawn and Paneled wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at genxgrownup.com. Talk to you guys soon. So we've been talking an awful lot about music centric charities, right? These, you know, live aid band. Right. I've been saying, wow, a lot. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. But it's all been music centric. There was right. a much larger event in some of our lives as far as a thing that might be a little bit more prevalent or recognizable to our larger community. And that was comic relief here in the United States. Comic relief. I don't know if you had a bigger movement during the 1980s than comic relief. It was really the Jerry Lewis telethon of its time. Yeah. Because how many hours they run? I mean, it just went ridiculously long. Yeah, it was crazy. It was very much. You could call it a telethon. It did run for hours and hours, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it ran on HBO. So HBO provided the uh, airtime, right? Preempted all of their other programming when it run. And it was Predominantly created by three key comics, right? You had Whoopi Goldberg, mm-hmm. Robin Williams, and Billy Crystal. And they were not only the creators, but the hosts of this thing. Right. They were, even to today, for those of them that are still with us, they're still relevant celebrities. But then they were top of the comic game. Yeah. I yeah. want to point out that, yes, from what we saw, but believe it or not, it was actually another import. It originally started as an idea on BBC One. Well, of course. That's where we get our best ideas from. That's all, right. all, all the best stuff we still <laughs> work yeah. office. I mean, come on. It had its start there in 1985, Christmas Day. So right again, that same year, 1985, when all this stuff really comes to fruition, but it then transitioned over to the American and became the phenomenon that it was from 1986 on, even till recent. I remember very much eager to watch those. I mean, I didn't know what it was the first time it came out, like anything. You're like, what is this going to be? It's a, a funny show. What is it? A fundraiser? I don't know. Because you think of telethons or whatever. Sure. But it was always hilarious. And just like those, you know, the farm aids and your, your band-aids and things, they were most Mostly top of the game comedians were oh, on yeah. there. And if they weren't, they were serious up and comers. I remember seeing uh, when George Carlin was on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, God, that's one yeah. of the ones I remember the most. Yeah. You know, he says, you know, homelessness, he says, a home is an abstract thing. You know, they actually need house. You know, just call it houselessness. Right. You know, houseless. <laughs> it needs to be houseless. Right. You know, a home is an abstract. A house is a thing. So, yeah. He right. did his whole segment about a bigger place for your stuff. For my stuff. Yeah. A yeah. place for my stuff. That was a great segment. I love that. Yeah. There was one joke that Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, and Whoopi Goldberg did. It was just a little one-off joke, but it stopped the show for like five minutes. Do you guys remember the reverse Oreo joke? Yes, oh, I yeah. do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> to this day, that's the one that stands out in my mind the most. So you've got... <laughs> Just for our listeners, I want to put this in your mind. You've got Billy Crystal, then you've got Whoopi Goldberg, and you've got Robin Williams all standing in a line front to back. So you're seeing them on their profile. One of them says something along the lines of, hey, look, a reverse Oreo. And Whoopi Goldberg turns to the crowd completely off the cuff and goes, hey, want to take a lick? I lost it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that was the thing, though. It's like they got three of probably the best improv comedians. Uh, yep. Sure. I mean, especially Robin Williams. I mean, 
his brain's 20,000 times faster than anybody else's when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Just the fact that they were able to keep things entertaining and moving. And even when you had to watch those really depressing segments when they actually showed you what they were doing it for. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> like very often the comedy segments they would do or little skits they would do, it might've been existing material, but they would tune it to be something about the relevance of the event, something about homelessness right. or, you know, hardship in America or that kind of thing. They would often, the, the acts would tune that just a bit for you. Yeah. And if I remember right, you even had had some pre-recorded segments like Red Skelton. He did that whole hobo segment that was like really moving and sad. I remember that. Yeah. I think the main hosts, the three that we're talking about, Goldberg, Crystal, and Williams, we've even seen later on how they have gone on to host other things. You know, we've, we've seen them host Emmy Award shows and their own TV shows. Yeah, that's no accident. No, it's because uh, you think about that the three probably best hosting performers of their generation. <laughs> quickest on your feet. Yeah. Quickest with a joke, fastest wit. And all three of them were there. It was like a machine gun. Yeah. Of clever. And, and they kept it going for hours, hours, <laughs> hours and hours. I think any one of them could have been a single host and you would have loved it. But the fact that you had all three on yeah. one stage hosting the entire time, that's just like a wow moment with Live Aid or with, you know, we are the world. And this ran for like on and off for like a decade, like for 10 years, not every single year, but most years it ran. Yeah. It wasn't as regular. Like it wasn't like every year. Yeah. But it wasn't just one event. It was recurring over yeah. and over again. And they're not done. They continue to do events. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not the same three hosts, but Comic Relief didn't go away. It's still doing events even up until as recently as last year, I think. Yeah. It's kind of a part. I mentioned earlier how it some of it kind of got its start on BBC One. Well, it's become a merged segment of the Red Nose Day. Oh, yeah. The, you know, I always wonder what the hell is up with those red noses in Walgreens. Yeah. Right. It makes sense now. Okay. Oh. So it's all part of that. Now, the Red Nose Day has a larger charity than the American homelessness charities that Comic uh -huh. Relief was mostly targeted toward. Oh, okay. Still, it's the same continuation of the same idea. Comedians on stage trying to raise money for a charity. It's the only two of its kind of, you know, there were multitudes of those music kind of charity event things, right? There was Farm Aid, there was Live right, right. Aid. Yeah. And those could be done really quickly and easily in a studio. These telethon oh, yeah. comedian concert things were just as large, if not a more difficult production than some of those concerts were. I, th I would think so. I'm just trying to coordinate all these people. And maybe that's why they weren't able to do it on a more regular basis. Every single you know? year, maybe, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now it's kind of every other year. Those are still funny. You can still watch the highlights of those today. And those things, they don't get old. No, no. not at all. There's still hilarious. Yeah. To me, some of my most favorite HBO viewing in the mid 80s had to be Comic Relief. I remember waiting for it the next year, like, oh, Comic Relief's coming in just a month. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Did you ever donate to Comic Relief? I did, actually. I donated during the very first one. I did, too. Wow. I did too. I don't, it was the first one, I think, but I, I know I donated. <laughs> well, no, my point. parents did. So... Oh. oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody money. donated. Well, and you guys yeah. know my mother. She's kind of a bleeding heart. She'll give money to anybody at any time, even if it's her last yeah. dollar. So George just started crying a little bit. What's wrong, honey? And give money to the homeless. Yeah, mom. Whoopi Goldberg yeah. said to take a lick, and I just need to give her money. <laughs> okay, here we are. Okay, we're back. We're here. A reverse Oreo. Now. Who's going to do the lick? Isn't no. that what they do? They open it up, take a lick? Yeah. For those of you playing the home game, 
If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we've put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us in Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen. While in iTunes, take a second to rate and review the show. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. We'd love to hear from our fourth listener, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other episode to podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is so much more than just this podcast. You can also find our video content on YouTube or explore our entire body of work on our website at genxgrownup.com. We have covered a lot of ground in this backtrack, and it's, I've, I've said many times throughout it that I've worn out my wow, just so amazing. And I, and I know we didn't do the scope of this justice. It's just, we've tried our best to impart it to our listeners, but these were really just watershed moments growing up as a Generation Xer. If you were there for these, you remember where you were, as you mentioned, George. I, I would hope that if any of our fourth listeners have memories of any of these things or others, these big celebrity charity events, that they would write in and tell us about them. And we'll, uh, we can reminisce with you. Yeah, uh, maybe on the some next of show. you guys yeah. got to go to one of the concerts or maybe were in the audience for comic relief or donated money. Oh, I would love man. to hear some of those kinds of stories. That would be wonderful. The, yeah. That's I, I would be jealous, but interested. Yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be like a once in a lifetime event going to see something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a once in a lifetime yeah. okay. in the world's event. Really? I mean, the yeah. one concert, 1.9 billion people. Jeez. I just saw it on TV. Somebody who was there. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. That's, I just did too. Man, imagine the line to the bathroom. Holy cow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The places Moe's mind goes. Right. Starving <laughs> children in Africa. Here. Collins riding the Concorde from England to New York. Moe's talking right. about a bathroom line, of course. Right. I need to get the crapper. Come on, yeah. get me in there. <laughs> Let me tell you. Hey, you tell me it wasn't a long line. I'm sure it was a long line. I'm sure it was a long line. You're, you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. <laughs> I am John. Mo, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> Always fun, man. George, I sure appreciate you. Yes, sir. And fourth listener, thank you for going along for the ride on this backtrack, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Take care, everybody. See you guys. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? No games, no puns. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. And we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Fuck you. <laughs> I took to see you guys. God damn it. You did that shit on purpose. All right, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. <laughs> That's just so fun, though. Come on. All right. Uh... I just, I'm not original enough to have any other ending all right. Take care, everybody. See you guys. See you guys. <laughs> You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it 
from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.